0: All right, what do you think about that worship? All right, it was good stuff, wasn't it? Very good stuff, very, very, very good stuff. So I can't tell you uh, his name. If I told you his name, my, my concern is it would get him in some kind of trouble, so can't tell you his name. But he was the mentor, okay? I was the mentee. He was the older, I was younger. He was the teacher, and I was the student. Now, we, we shared a common interest in, in sports at our school where he taught and where I attended. And, and in some weird way, although there was a, a huge gap of, of age difference, that interest somehow kind of made us buddies and uh, kind of friends to some degree. Now, I don't know how it works today because I'm kind of out of this uh, stage of life now and that season is gone. But in my day, uh, students, when they went to school, they actually got a physical report card that had grades in it that they had to take home and give with fear and trembling to their parents. Am I, okay, y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, so that's what happened back in that day and my friend had a very unique way of communicating uh, the student's grade to them. He would call you up in front of everybody in the class to his desk and he would have his grade book opened up and you would come up and I, I remember it. I came up to the left and he would, Point down at your grade. It's kind of a courteous heads up on what's going to be on your court. Kind of that kind of thing. And and so the day that my name is called to the desk, he had the tip of his pencil. And uh, I actually brought one because I wanted to see exactly what happened. He had the tip of his pencil. He calls me. I went up. He's sitting on his desk. I came up the left side. He takes a pencil. I brought this so you can see it. And he points it right there at the grade in the report card for me, and it was a C. Now watch what he did. He took his pencil and he turned it upside down. And he erased it and he turned it back way and he wrote an A and he said, it's a good thing you like sport. Now, the teachers in the room are infuriated right now, (laughs) and the taxpayers are going, what is going on in our world? But from the perspective of a student, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Now, I want to play with that just for a second, because we're not given a lot of detailed information about this. It just isn't there, and if people make it up, they're just making it up because it ain't there. We really don't know what's going to happen, the manner of how it's going to happen, what it's going to look like, but what we do know at the end of our life, we will all be called to a desk, and everybody gets a grade. And you, you, may, you may not have seen these places in the Bible, but there's a, a couple places that are thrown in the Bible that I think they're just kind of daunting verses that remind us of our day when your name is called. And if you've not seen the verses, let me scare the heebie-jeebies out of you. Oh, check this out. Check this verse out. For we must all... Somebody say All. all. Okay, so nobody gets out of this. For we must all... Appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, if that doesn't do it, look at this next one. It's kind of a little bit simpler. So then each of us will give account of himself to God. And just so you know, there's more of that that we don't know than what we do know. Uh, but one of the things that we're pretty clear about is that nowhere in the Bible is there any kind of grading system. There's no like A, B, C, D, none, Those of you who are counting on D is a pass, there's nothing in the Bible, anything about that. In fact, in the Bible, the only thing we really get about it, it's the old pass-fail thing. That, it, it's that. You're in or you're out. That, that's, that's all there is. You're either, watch this, righteous or you're unrighteous. And the righteous are in, and the unrighteous are out. And it is really, seriously, that simple. It's that clear. And to obtain the status of righteousness, to get here, to get to that point, get ready for this. My teacher friend might have understood it more than we give him credit for. And you and I are going to understand it in a few minutes if we take one little bite of an elephant. A number of years ago, I did something that is kind of the opposite of what I'm doing this evening for the next five weeks, we're going to do something I don't think that I've ever done in 42 years of preaching. And a long, long time ago, I kind of did the opposite. About about 20 years ago, I wrote a series of messages for our church that was on the every book in the Bible. And so there are 66 books in the Bible. I wrote 66 sermons. There was one sermon for every book of the Bible. It was kind of a 40,000-foot a view of every book in the Bible. And so week one, it was, okay, here's what the book of Genesis is about and week two here's what the book of Exodus was about and we did that for 66 weeks and I kind of broke it up every once in a while do five of them, do something different, come back and so we did that, it took us a couple years to do it and what we're going to start doing this weekend is the exact opposite because we're going to take one little small portion of scripture in the Bible it's only two verses There are 31,000 verses in the Bible in 66 books, and we're just gonna take two of them. Now, watch this. And we're gonna spend five weeks on them. You see the difference? Okay, one whole book, one week. Two little verses, five weeks. And instead of kind of a 40,000-foot view, we're going to jump into these things with an MRI. We're going we're to get down into the muscle and the bone and the tendons of it. And if that sounds gross, sorry about that, but you kind of see what I'm trying to say. And what we want to do with those two verses is we want to spend the summer on those because they are among the most important verses in the whole Bible, and that's why we're calling it slowly eating an elephant because these two verses, they are important stuff. They are big time stuff. They are elephant size in importance. But in order to really know what they mean, you've got to take a bite at a time to fully digest it. And today, what we're going to find out, here's what we're going to deal with this weekend, is the very first bite we take of this elephant passage tells us how to make sure righteous is next to your name when you get called to the desk. So let's just jump into it. Let's jump into these two verses found in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, verses one and two. You're gonna know about these verses in a month. He writes these words from Romans 12, verse one. He said, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So five weeks on all of that is what we're going to do. And today we're going to take the first little bite and it is the very beginning of that two verse passage and I want to put it up again and we're going to take a little bite of this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, I'd like you to go on a little bit of a journey with me and study that together. And if you're an East Side person, you see something here that we talk a lot about, and that is that word, therefore. That may be the most important word in all of the first two verses, the word therefore. And if you come to Eastside, you know why. Because we always talk here, whenever that happens in any of the texts that we're looking at, that the word therefore is a connecting word. It's a, it's a linking word. And what the author is doing, he's saying, everything I've been talking about is connected to what I'm about to start talking about. It's kind of in the middle. It is the connector. That's why we use the little clip. You read in your Bible, you ever come across the word therefore? Stop right then and ask yourself, what's it there for? Because it's there for a reason. It is a connector. It is a link. It takes two different things and brings them together. If you live in Indiana, go take a trip down to Tennessee, you're probably going to have to go to Kentucky. You're going to go right through Kentucky because Kentucky's the link, it is the connector. And so, what you're going to find out in this study is that the word therefore connects two things it connects God's mercy and it connects our bodies as living sacrifices. Now don't lose me here. It's all gonna come to light here for in a minute. And what is happening in this very first bite in this powerful passage is nothing more than a summary of the outline of the book of Romans. So the whole book of Romans comes down to that passage. Look at this little outline I wanted to show you. Chapters one through 11 talk about God's mercy, 11 chapters about the mercy of God. And then we've got the word, therefore, and then we have bodies as living sacrifices. This word, therefore, just connects those two halves of the book. And so in order to kind of dive down here and find out what he's really talking about as he begins this powerful passage, you gotta spend a little bit of time and say, okay, let's go back here and let's play with this. What did he just talk about? Now, everybody hear this. This will make all the sense in the world to you. In those 11 chapters, Romans chapter one, two, all the way to 11, the word righteous or righteousness which you and I are going to need someday, it is mentioned 42 times in 11 chapters. The entirety of Romans from chapters 1 and 11 is all about being righteous. That's all it's about. And if you've ever wondered, does the Bible ever talk about me? Am I ever in the Bible? Does it ever describe me? Just read Romans 1 through 11 because Paul talks about how we try to get righteous on our own. How we try to, you know, just be the best that we can. And when you start reading it, you think, man, that's me. That is me. He talks about getting to the point where you say, okay, man, I got to do all the right things. I got to stay away from all the bad things. I'm going to be the best Christian I can be. And then you mess up and you think, oh, man, I hope you don't come right now. I hope the call to the you live in that. Live in that fear and that guilt you because know, you, you just can't get there. And man, Jews were the worst. Jews were the worst because Paul said they got all these laws God gave them in the Old Testament and then they made up a whole lot more themselves. Terrible move, Jewish people. They had all these laws. They said, man, you got to do them all. You got to do them all. They just finally said, you know what? We can't do them. And even Paul said, Paul said this, I love this. In the first love, he said, he goes, here's what I get caught up. He said, man, I want to do the right thing. I know what the right thing is. I'm going to do the right thing. I set my goal. I'm doing the right thing. And guess what? I don't end up doing the right thing. And I know what the bad thing is, man. I don't want to do the bad thing. That's wrong, man. You should never do that. I ain't doing it. And every day I find myself, that's what I end up doing. And you read that and go, dude, has he got a camera in my house, okay? And so Paul talks for 11 chapters about how we human beings try to become righteous on our own, and we just can't. We just can't. No matter how hard we try, we just can't. And so you know what God does about that? He gives us mercy. That God feels so bad that we can't get righteous that he gives us Mercy. Mercy is the word. It means to pity somebody, to feel bad for them because of their difficult situation. And so what Paul wrote in 11 chapters is that everybody try to get righteous, man, because you know you're going to get called to the desk. And God looks at you going, man, you're pathetic. You just can't do it. And so God says this. Here's what God says. How about I just give it to you? How about I just give it to you? What? Yeah, how about I just give it to you? That's why the gospel is referred to as good news. And good news is that God looks at people who cannot get righteous on their own, and he just has pity for them. He has pity for me. He has pity for you. And he says, you know what? I'm I'm just going to give it to you. And I don't know if you ever thought about this, but man, that don't happen in the real world. It it does not happen in the world. You ever worked for an employer who said, hey, I know you tried. I know you tried to meet your goal, and I know you failed, and I'm just going to give you the bonus anybody. Anybody, anybody work for somebody like that? Okay. You ever watch a basketball game, and somebody's shooting a free throw at a critical moment of the game, and they miss, they brick it, and the referee blows his whistle? Come on, he tried. Let him have the point. You ever see a game like that? Uh, no. You ever had a teacher who said, okay, okay, you missed, you missed uh, uh, three days from school, and five days you showed up late, and the best you ever got on a test was 75%. But I'm going to give you an A anyway. I have. I don't know about y'all, but I, I have, okay? So, so you read through Romans 1 through 11, and what you find out is that the status of righteousness, for righteous to be by your name, comes from the mercy of God, because he feels sorry for the fact that we can't do it. And God says, so here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just gonna have my, G, my, my son Jesus die on a cross of which Jesus said, hey, I'm cool with it, I'll do it. And Jesus dies on the cross and that's gonna take care of all the bad stuff that we did and all the good stuff that we should have done. We shouldn't have. And so God says, we're just gonna deal with all that. We're gonna clean the, the slate completely and so we don't have to worry about that. And then righteousness, the ability to be right and live a right life, God says, I'm just gonna give it to you. Here you go. You can't buy it, you haven't been able to earn it you can't you just hear you can have it and then watch this then we learn to put our faith in that that's what it means to have faith in Jesus trust in Jesus what that means is that we come to understand the only hope any of us ever have to get to the desk with the name righteous the only hope is Jesus because we can't we haven't been able to and so if we stand before God at the desk before you go into heaven, if that's what happens, we don't know, but let's say that happens, and God says, okay, what right do you have to come in here? Well, well, some of us live our lives by thinking this. Where we're gonna say, dude, you know, I never missed church. I did all this, I, did, I didn't do that, I didn't do that. And, and God says, none of that works. The only answer you got when he says, why should I let you in? You only got one answer, Jesus. That is the mercy of God. And so for 11 chapters, Paul is talking about that. In great doctrinal detail, for 11 chapters, that comes up. And then we get to chapter 12, verse 1, and Paul says, Therefore, he says, I'm going to connect that. And now you know why he said, therefore, in view of God's mercy. In other words, because of everything I just talked about, that God just gives you righteousness. He just here, you can have it. Believe in it, trust in it, it's yours. Because of that, therefore, we present our bodies as living sacrifices. In other words, our role is that we respond to the grace. We respond to the mercy and love of God. We do something about it. And what do we do? We present our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, don't let the body thing freak you out and wig you or anything about that. We present our bodies as living sacrifices because he gave us righteousness. Because we have it, this is what we'll do. And what... Being your body as living sacrifice, as living that out, as presenting that, that is an expression of gratitude and love to the one who loves you. So watch this. We don't present our bodies as living sacrifice in order to earn righteousness. We already got it. Is anybody catching that? That's why we do it because of what he did in light of his mercy. Here's an illustration that helps me understand it. My birthday... It's five days before my wife's birthday. So I have my birthday, and five days later, Susan has hers. And that has proven to be, in my adult life, terrible news for me. (laughs) Terrible. I'm married to a lady whose love language is to give gifts. That's her love language. And that doesn't calculate to me. I'm a rational man. I'm a thinking man. I decipher things. That makes zero sense to me that anybody's love language would be to give a gift. Now, if your love language is to receive a gift, makes all the sense in the world to me, okay? Give me a gift, I love you, okay? Give me another gift, I love you even more. Okay, That, that makes sense. Who feels love in order to give, who does that? Well, I'm married to her. The Amazon man sent her a get well card the other day, cause he hadn't been to our house for three days and he thought she was sick, okay? <laughs> so she just, she buys stuff all the time to give to people. Now here's what's happened with our birthday. Back to our birthdays, I always get a great birthday present, it's not. Because she wants to give me a birthday present. It's because that's her love language, to give presents, okay? And so I always get a great birthday present. And at my age, I don't think we ought to give old people gifts. I don't. You don't know how long they are going to be around to enjoy it. So I think, I think you ought to just congratulate them. Hey, you stayed out of the grave for another year. Go for it. Uh, but not me, man. I get great stuff. Now, that might sound wonderful, but here's the price that it comes to me. In five days, I gotta equal that. Is anybody hearing me? I mean, how do you get a dozen golf balls and a free round at a nice golf course and show up five days later with some new bags for the vacuum cleaner? How do you do that? And so I got to come up with this good stuff in response to the good stuff I got and I think that's what Paul was talking about. I think that's what he meant. In, 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 light, in, in light of this idea that mercy just gives you righteousness. What do you do about that? Well, I'm going to present my body as a living sacrifice, as a testament to how grateful I am to you. Watch this. I don't do that in order to earn the righteousness. I already got the righteousness. I'm doing it to thank him and honor him for what he mercifully did to me. So I wrote down what I believe to be this first bite of the elephant. I wrote down, here's what I think that whole first part of verse one talks about. And and I put it in these words. Because we've been given righteousness, we choose to live righteously in order to honor the righteous one. And I want you to see what's powerful about that is we already have the righteousness and now what we do is just a response in order to honor him. It's not to earn anything because he already gave it to us. Now, you look at that and you think, okay, what do you mean by this body living sacrifice? Of The body stuff might freak you out a little bit, but it's not what you think. He's not saying pick a part of your body and say, I'm going to honor God with that, okay? I'm going to honor God with my pinky finger on my right. I'm going to choose my left knee. That's not what he's saying. When the word body is used in the Bible, it often refers to the whole self, everything about you, all of you. And so in view of his mercy, in order to honor him and thank him and express my gratitude for him, watch this. I want him to have all of me. Now part of me Not the things that I'm okay about, but I'm not quite okay about these things over here. And so now he's got about half of me and maybe next year, maybe three quarters or so. Now now he says, all of me. And it means to identify if there's anything in my life that I have reserved only for me. Because if you're really grateful for the mercy, he has all of the body. And I think we all know how easy that is. Here's an example. God, I've surrendered my language to you. I want the words that come out of my mouth be words that would never sound profane. I just I just want to honor you with everything that comes out of my mouth. I want to be pleasing to you when you hear me speak. I want to be, I want to have words and language and tones of voice and attitude that everybody around me is just, oh, that's great. I want I want my language, my tongue to belong to you. But God, I don't know about the money thing. That's stuff about awarding debt and not getting caught up in materialism and being generous people I can help and giving a tenth of the church for the kingdom of God. I don't know about that. I'm not quite ready for that. You can have part of my body, but I'm not ready to give it all yet. Or maybe maybe it's somebody who says, you know what, I'm going to commit my schedule of worship to you. I'm going to be there with my church family on Sunday or Thursday. I'm going to give an hour of focus to you. I'm going to make a commitment to you. You're going to be the most important thing in my life, and I'm going to prove it by that. And I'm going to build a foundation for my kids so they'll see that example, and they will live that out in their life. God, that is yours, completely yours. We're never going to argue about it again. It is committed to you. But I know about that sex stuff, God. God. I mean, your way just seems so limiting. It seems so out of touch with the world. Um, I mean, it's just impossible to control my urges, and so I'm going to have to think about all that. So you can have part of my body, but you can't have all of it. And so when you understand the mercy of God and what that really means, and I know many of you have heard this before, But when you understand it to the point where you know the only hope I have of righteousness is mercy. Watch this. You won't choose parts of your body to keep only to yourself. And so there might be a next in there for some of you with our vision. Your next might be that part of your life, that part of your body that you've reserved from his control. And you kind of feel good about all the things that have given to the Lord and and you've surrendered to him because you're so grateful for what he did. But then there's that that thing back there, that, that room in the house there, that drawer over there that you would just prefer he stay out of right now. And your next may be, God, I want you to have all. I present my body to you as a living sacrifice. What's that about? Well, that's a little bit of a play on words, particularly to the Jewish people in that day. It is a play on word in this idea that there's certain things that the Jewish people would do to sacrifice. They would would put things to death completely so that they could then be honored and be righteous before God. And when you come to the point where you say that I am going to present my body as a living sacrifice to you, what you are saying, what you're getting to, what you're coming across is that, God, I want to be able to put to death some things in my life that I know ought not be there. Now this is, I think, a place that maybe kind of gets under your grill a little bit. When I was was writing this, man, I, I felt really uncomfortable with how that was talking about me and this idea of putting to death something so that I can live for him. A few months ago, our management team here at our church, uh, members of our staff went down to Savannah. We spent a week down there in a conference about leading in churches and larger churches and, and just good time training for us. And one of the speakers that we heard that week challenged us to go back to our churches and he challenged us to teach hard truth rather than just being easy with soft truth. And he said, we're at a point in our world where our churches need to hear that because they're hearing everything else in the world and they need to hear truth here. And he used this example. He said, everybody in the Bible who got right with God had a turning away from something and a turning towards something. That there was something in their life that they said, that can't be in my life anymore. I'm going to turn away from that and I'm going to turn toward God and his challenge to us was true. Because we get caught up in turning toward God, and there are many of you here that this is all new to you, you're just getting going on it, and man, you are turning toward God, and he brought the challenge up right. But what do you turn away from? What have you turned away from? That's what it means to be a living sacrifice, that there are things that prevent my whole body belonging to him, and so I am gonna turn away from the things that are not consistent in my walk with God, and that might be your next. For you and me, there might be a thing or two in our life that we just haven't said goodbye to. We haven't taken out and buried. We haven't said, you will not control me any longer. There's a new chief in the house. And so maybe for you, it's the sacrifice part. But the essence of this first beautiful bite of this elephant of a passage is that God said, How about I just give it to you? And when that sinks in, he has my all. Now, you might not realize, but this is a message that I have labored over and have been afraid of teaching it. Came close. I I find myself every once in a while saying, Yeah, I don't know if we're going to do that one or not. And this is one of them. And I want you to know what my nervousness was about this. And my nervousness was that either I wouldn't communicate it right or you wouldn't hear it right. And my fear is that we walk out of this room, we get in our cars and go home, and what you caught from that. Is that I got to clean some things up, man. I got some areas of my life that I got to surrender to Him. And I got some areas of my life I got to bury and walk away from. And I got to do all that because I got to be righteous before God. And my fear is that that's what you heard me say. And that is the exact opposite of what I said. That's why Romans was written, because people misunderstood that. We don't do any of this in order to get righteousness. We already are righteous. We do this to honor and thank him with our life. So my son told me the other day that uh, their, their little daughter, who is three, came in their room and woke them up. At five o'clock in the morning, mommy, daddy, get up, get up! And all parents have been there. Okay, you're dead asleep. The kid comes in. You know, most time it's nothing. Okay, they want to drink, or you know, they don't feel good, or they're scared of a monster or something. And so he said, "We're we're just dead to the world." And she's screaming, "Ah!" And finally, what? What? And my, my. Um, outgoing, uh, personality-driven three-year-old granddaughter Ellie says, you forgot to sing Jesus Loves Me when we went to bed last night. (laughs) And she wasn't going back to bed until that song got its attention. He told me that, and I laughed, and I went all proud about it, and then I said, ah, (laughs) ah. That's the doctrine of Romans 12. You forget Jesus, and it's hard to live righteously, isn't it? But you remember Jesus, and all you want to do is live righteously in view of God's mercy. Go be that. Father God, thank you Just me hearing me saying those words, I'm embarrassed that I said them because they are so insufficient for the mercy that you've given. It's all I got. Thank you that you give to me and to my friends what we do not deserve and what we have never been able to earn. Help us not to lose focus on that so that our life will reflect our gratitude. Amen.